Well, good morning everybody. We're um, going to be thinking about Rahab, who was the prostitute whom uh, God saved uh, in the book of Joshua. So it's, uh, don't tell me the Bible's boring. The Bible's not boring at all. So um, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we bring to you all the prayer requests that we've just, uh, we've just made. We pray, Father, above all, for your presence, your Holy Spirit in our lives, so that we might be transformed and that we might be in, our, in the deepest part of our heart, that we might be spiritual people. Please, Father, forgive us all our sins and overlook where we fail and all our dysfunction, and we pray that you will help each of us to grow spiritually, that we might bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and that we might really grow and be yours. And we pray also for all those we just mentioned in our prayers. We pray, Father, that you will help us to be a light in the darkness, that we might be able to help men and women and boys and girls to come and know you and your son. So please bless our lunchtime meetings this week at the venue. Please help people to come and to encounter your son and to say yes to him and to commit to him and to accept the offer of your grace. Please, Father, go with each and every one of us. And open our eyes now to the wonderful story of, of Rahab and help us to see something of ourselves in her and to step out in faith as she did. For the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right, remember that Israel were in Egypt. They came out of the Red Sea and they walked through the wilderness for three years. And then they come to the promised land, the land of Canaan. But in the land of Canaan, there are all these aggressive tribes. And God says to them, no problem, they were frightened of you. Well, they send some spies to have a look around, and the spies come back and say, yes, yeah, a beautiful land, but it's all full of these Canaanites. They've got great big walled cities, cities with great big walls. We, we, can't, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go back to Egypt. And so they try to go back to Egypt, and then God judges them. And they say, oh, no, no, we, we want to go in there. No, too late. So they had to walk round and round for 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died. And at the end of that, they go again. And so they come to the River Jordan, and just across the River Jordan, there's this great big city, Jericho, with a great big wall around it that archaeologists have dug up. So... <laughs> They send two spies over to just check the place out. This is a walled city, a city with a wall around it that you can't, you can't get in. So, we're going to take the story up from there. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two men out of Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, including Jericho. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and slept there. The king of Jericho was told, Behold, men of the children of Israel came in here tonight to spy out the land. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and entered into your house, for they have come to spy out all the land. <coughs> the woman took the two men and concealed them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. It happened about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hit them under the stalks of flax, which she had laid over on the roof. The men pursued them the way to the Jordan to the falls. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Before
before they laid, laid down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond Jordan to slay all to all whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more spirit in any man because of you, for Yahweh your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore please swear to me by Yahweh, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will show grace to my father's house and family, and give me a true token. Please save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all they have, and will deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our life for yours if you don't talk about this business of ours, and it should be. When Yahweh gives us the land, but we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a scarlet cord through the window, for her house was on the side of the wall, and she lived on the wall. She said to them, Go to the mountain, lest the pursuers find you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless of this your oath which you have made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which you used to let us down. You shall gather to yourself into the house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. It shall be that whoever goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his head, and we will be guiltless. Whoever is with you in the house, his blood will be on our head, if any hand is on him. She said, According to your words, so be it. She sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet line in the window. So when the Israelites come and the rulers of Jericho fall, they rescue Rahab and her family, and they're safe, and the rest of the city is destroyed. But later on in the New Testament, you read about Rahab. When you read about the genealogy of Jesus, who his relative, who his ancestors were, in Matthew chapter 1, you've got the genealogy of Jesus. It all seems very boring, all these names. But there's actually at least three prostitutes in his line. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Salmon was a prince of, the, of Judah. Uh, he marries Rahab. And they have a child with Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, Jesse begat David the king, and it goes on to Jesus. So this Rahab, who was a Gentile and a prostitute, was actually in the line of Jesus. Paul says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those that were disobedient, having received the spies with peace. James says, by works a man is justified, and not only by faith. In like manner, he says, was not also Rahab the harlot justified by works, in that she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So, we've read the story, and now this is what the New Testament says about it. And you will see that Paul says she received the spies, and James says she received the messengers. Now, sometimes in all languages, words have two meanings. In Hebrew, the word for spy and the word for messenger are the same. That's why Paul says, she received the spies, well, they were spies. James says, she received the messengers. But they had a message. 
She believed it. And she responded with faith, and she did some works, in that she hid the spies and lied. When they, the guys from Jericho came and said, where are those men? She lied. They were up on the roof of her house. But she lied, so they're gone. Chase them. So, let's go back to the story and see what happened. These two spies come into Jericho. Jericho is a walled city. And it's evening. Now, they would have been dressed differently to the people of Jericho. They were Hebrew speakers, but it's a bit like if you get an Arab and a Jew together, well, they can understand a bit of each other, but not completely. There were Israel on the other side of the river, just two miles away, and of course everybody in Jericho was frightened of the Israelites, and they are thinking to themselves, I bet they're sending spies out to take our city. And suddenly two men enter the city, clearly dressed differently, and speaking well with an accent and differently like their Hebrews. We're told that they came in and the gate was shut. Um, so they come into the city and everyone's suddenly looking at them. Oh, you're different. You look like Hebrew spies. Dressed differently, talking differently. Clunk, the gate is shut. We are stuck inside this walled city. What can we do? We're inside a walled city. Uh, we need to get away quickly. We can't get out. Oh, here's a brothel. Here's a whorehouse. Let's go in here. Ding dong. Woman opens the door. And straight away she'd have seen, ah, oh, these aren't local guys. And so she invites them in. And they stay there the night. James says that they were messengers that she believed. And then she showed her works by hiding them and lying when the soldiers then come and say, where are these guys? She said, oh, they're gone. I don't know. So she becomes a pattern for us to have faith and to do works. But wait a minute, what did she actually believe? What did she believe? Well, she clearly knew something, quite a lot actually, about the God of Israel. Because she, when she talks to them up on the roof, she knows all about Israel. And she talks about Yahweh, you see verse 12. Swear to me by Yahweh your God. She knows the name Yahweh. And she said, you know, we've, I've heard everything that happened. Um, verse 9, she says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. Our land has been given to you. I know this. I believe this. We're all frightened. We're melting away because of you. We've heard what happened at the Red Sea. We've heard the great things that the God of Israel did for his people. And our hearts melted. Your God, verse 11, 
Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Where did she get all this information from? She's a prostitute living in Jericho in Canaan. Where did she get all this information from? Uh, from travellers? Uh, who were her clients? So the most unlikely person, a prostitute who hears about the God of Israel, the one true God, from her clients, living in Jericho, that God said, I'm going to destroy that city. And there's this woman thinking, well, if only I could be part of them, if only I could be one of the children of God, if only I could be an Israelite, if only I could have Yahweh as my God, wouldn't that be great? But I'm a no-hoper, I'm a prostitute, and I'm a sinner, and anyway, I'm stuck here in this Jericho. God's going to destroy this place. It's like she had no hope, she was some totally obscure person, but God saw her. And then ding-dong, our oh, next client, these blokes are Israelites, come in. And James says she received the messengers and believed them. They were messengers. And they would have given her the basic gospel of the kingdom of God. Very basic. And she believed it. And straight away, the whole thing would have taken, what, half an hour? An hour? Straight away she's like, I've got to hide you guys. Because they're going to come here and get you. And so she does the works. She does something. And she hides them. And then there's a knock on the door. Where are those men? Oh, they've gone. They've left. So you and me know far more about the gospel than she ever did. At that time, anyway. But despite that, she believed, as far as she believed, this very basic message of the kingdom of God, she believed it and acted on it. That's what we've got to do. We have heard the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is coming back. We're going to live forever. We can live forever. Believe it. But you've got to do something, as James says. Faith without works is dead. And you may also feel that you are too obscure. That you are in such a complex situation that nobody will ever understand my situation. I hear people say that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand how my life is. Well, yeah, but what about Rahab? She's a prostitute. She's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. She's living in a city that God's going to destroy. She can't connect with the people of God. But God will find a way. And if you take nothing else from this, just take that, that God will find a way. He found a way for this woman, this woman of all women, that he found a way for this woman in a very complicated situation. You know, people say, oh, my life, my situation is so complicated, you never understand it. Sure, maybe. But God sees all that and finds a way. And that's what happened. And she says in verse 12, since I've dealt kindly with you, will you also show grace to my father's house or family? 
Grace. Now, grace means a pure gift. A gift that does not, is not given demanding or expecting response. Pure gift. That's what grace is. And she understood that the God of Israel is a God of grace. She's saying, look, uh, can you, you going to save me, but by grace, could you please save my, my family as well? So this woman has got, um, she's thought, and she loves the God of Israel because he is a God of grace. And that is what separates the one true faith from everything else, from all sorts of dummy forms of Christianity, from Islam, from the whole thing, is our understanding of grace. That there is no grace in anything else. There is no grace in any of these religions that are saying you've got to do these works, and then if you do the works right, if you do the ritual right, then you will get saved. Be it Jehovah Witness, be it Roman Catholic, with all the same mentality. You've got to do this, and then if you're lucky, you might get this from God. Whereas the grace of God is totally different. I give this to you, without conditions. But if you accept that, well, you can't be passive to it. Say, so, but is that a catch? No, I don't think that's a catch. But I think what it shows is that if that's for real, then wow, I am going to really live forever and ever and ever and ever in God's kingdom. That's so wonderful, I can't be passive to that. I can't say, oh yeah, well, that's cool. I, I want to do something in response. That's normal. That's how it is. You can't be passive to, to that. The other thing is how God works through sin. Of course it's wrong to be a prostitute. It's not okay. But you see how God works through it. Because these spies come in. Oh, yikes, the, the, uh, the gate is shut. Where can we go? Okay, let's go into this uh, brothel or this whorehouse. And there's this woman who's working there. I want to. My fantasy is to become part of the people of God. But of course I can't. Knock on the door. Here's your answer. And it's really beautiful in its own way how it works out. That, of course, the people of Jericho had spotted these guys going into the brothel, into the house. And they come and knock at the door and say, two men came into your house. What are their names? Where are they from? What's your connection with them? What do you know about them? What are they doing? We have reason to believe that they are spies. Where are they? Who are they? What's your connection with them? What are their names? Which country? What nationality were they? And it's only a prostitute who could say, two men came into my place. They're absolutely right. I don't know their names. Do you think I would know their names? Their nationality? I don't know what nationality they were. Um, I don't know anything about them. I'm a prostitute. She's the only person who could get away with that. If two men came and stayed the night at my house or at your house, and the cops came in the morning and said, uh, you had two men staying in your house. What were their names? What's the connection between you and them? Um, what nationality were they? You can't say, well, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Of course, you're going to have to say, 
oh, they were Jim and they were Steve or whatever, and they were, I don't know, whatever ethnic background, and they were, yeah, yeah, my connection is, well, we were friends or relatives or something. It's only a prostitute who could say, you know, two guys came, I don't know their names. Stayed the night, yeah? yeah. Uh, I don't know their names. Don't ask me for their names, I wouldn't know. Do you know anything about them? No. Do you think I would know anything about my clients? So there's something very beautiful. Sorry, that's a wrong word. Um, but you know what I'm saying. There's something the way it's sort of worked out. And it just shows that, is it not a justified sin, or justified, in her case, prostitution? But it is to show that God works with situations. God does not think, well, yuck, that person's a prostitute, or I'm keeping right away from that horrible lady. He actually worked through and with the whole situation. Actually, in a very, I don't know, what a word, beautiful, nice, wonderful, let's say wonderful way, he worked through it. And, of course, she's hidden the guys up on the roof, and she says to these men of Jericho who come to her, verse 5, she says, where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. And the implication is, you guys standing in front of me, you are stronger, aren't you? And you are going to run faster than them. This is a prostitute saying to these men of Jericho, her own guys. You will overtake them. If you run right now, you're so strong and smart, aren't you? Run quickly. You'll get them. You will go faster than those two guys, I'm telling you. Now, this is just <coughs> manipulation, isn't it? Um, and she's smart. And she uses that smartness for the gospel. Well, it doesn't justify sin, absolutely not. But don't think that God is only engaged with you when you're being good. No. So then, off the men of Jericho run, and of course they don't find the guys because they're hiding upstairs. And, I just, and then she has this conversation with the guys, and she says a couple of times, when we heard what had happened with you crossing the Red Sea and all that, our hearts melted for fear because of you. Our hearts melted for fear because of you guys. But you see, when the Israelites first went into the land of Canaan, they came back and said, oh, we can't possibly take this, this country. Uh, their walls are built up to heaven. They're very strong warriors. But now you get the inside picture of it. No, no, no. Behind those walls were men whose hearts were melting and were terrified. And so it is with us. We look at, you know, will I be in the kingdom of God? Will I come to salvation? And we see all these barriers that, ah, it's too hard. But you know, it's so much easier than you think. There they were thinking, we can't possibly take the kingdom of God. We can't take the land of Canaan. It's full of mighty, strong warriors. But actually, Rahab tells you, we were all melting with fear because of you guys. So what appears to be this impossible barrier these impossible barriers between me and salvation are not what they seem. Somebody might say, I can't, I can't forgive. 
I can't this, I can't that, I can't stop doing this, or I can't stop doing that. Okay. It's not as huge as it seems. And you've got to believe, like she did. She's like, no question. You guys are going to take the land. You guys are going to possess the kingdom. We are going to be there. And all the barriers that there appear to be are not as big as they seem to be. So, she wants her family saved. And they say to her, well, okay, if you bring your father, as 13, mother, brothers and sisters into your house, then and then you put a scarlet cord on your window, we'll, before we destroy the city, we'll come to you and we'll take you and your family out of your house. If you've got the scarlet cord on the window, but, verse 19, if any of you go outdoors from your house into the street, we're not saving that person. Well, here's a question. What relationship do you think a prostitute has with her family? What relationship, what kind of relationship does a prostitute have with her mum and dad, her brothers and her sisters? What? Not a good one. Right, if any. All the years we were running the soup kitchen in, uh, in Latvia, Riga, we stabbed all sorts of people, whores and gamblers, a lot of them. And, um, yeah, I baptized some of these people. We got to know some of these folks. We did baptize a few prostitutes there. And uh, one of them, we did actually baptize her family. I remember having a chat with her mum once. And uh, mum was talking about the kids. Oh, my eldest son, he's a truck driver. He's a very good truck driver. He's very careful, you know. He, he, he stops and lets people cross the road. He's very good there. My other son's a plumber. He's a very good plumber. He goes round at you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and someone's flat and fixes their broken pipes. 2 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. And then she goes, oh, man, my other daughter, my daughter, oh, she's a hairdresser, very good hairdresser. And then she comes to talk about the other daughter, Maria. And she goes, well, Maria, yeah, good trust you. She's, um, uh, yeah, got a good heart, but, um, well, to be honest, I haven't um, seen her for some years, haven't had a lot to do with her for some years. That'll be right, she's a prostitute. And, um, right, so it would have been the same as Rahab. She's got her house where she does her stuff. And God's plan is, you, know, you say, Rahab, the prostitute, you want your, your family saved, right? but they've got to be inside your house with the red cord in the window. And they will be saved. Can you imagine what would have happened? She would have gone to her mum and dad and her brothers and sisters and said, you know guys, <laughs> such and such has happened, and if you want to be saved, you better come into my house. So we talk about unity in families. Well, unity happened in that family only on the basis that we're desperate for salvation. If some of her family had said, no, I'm not going into your whorehouse, thank you. I don't want, if, if I've got to go into your whorehouse to be saved, I'd rather not be saved, thank you. Okay, don't be saved then. Simple as that. 
And it's strange how God's done this. Salvation in a whorehouse. You don't want to go in a whorehouse and you're not saved. Goodbye. Out goes your salvation. It's as simple as that. So the only people who went, who, who went into her, her family house were, into her house, her family, were people who thought, my need for salvation means that, okay, I'll forget all that she's done. She's a shame on her family. She's brought her family into shame. She's a shameful woman, but okay, whatever. I'll come inside her house. Now, if you know the Bible, you will be aware that Israel kept the Passover. And they had to kill the Passover lamb and paint the blood of the Passover lamb on the doors, doorposts, and on the lintels. And when the angel came to destroy Egypt, the people in the house were saved. And if you went out of the doors of the house, you weren't saved. This is at Passover time. Time's running out, and I can prove that. But it actually says earlier on in Joshua that this happened at Passover time. And that's actually why she hides them under the uh, flax that's just been harvested on her roof. It's Passover time. So it is Passover time, and the equivalent of painting red blood on your lintel and doorposts is, of course, putting the scarlet line, the scarlet cord, in her window. See the similarity. And only those in the house were saved. So it's as if God is saying to this random whore in Jericho, this Gentile woman, I'll do for you what I did for my people at Passover. So, she ties the scarlet rope in the window. And of course everybody would have thought uh, she, she had those spies in her, in her place and there's a red rope hanging out of her window. I wonder if she let them down the wall. But apparently they don't arrest her because she's still there when the Israelites come. So she's making a witness in her own way. In her own way she's making a witness. So, she lets them down um, out, of the, uh, out of the window. See verse 15. She let them down by a scarlet cord through the window for her house was on the side of the wall and she lived on the wall. Escaping from death by being let down by a cord, by a rope, through a window, down a wall. Two other people in the Bible, you read about that happening too. One is Saul, or Paul, when he's in Damascus. And they, again, the city is walled. They shut the gates, and they're going to kill him because he's preaching in the synagogues, Jesus is the Son of God. And the disciples take him and let him down through a window in a basket on a rope, and he escapes. The other example is King David, when Saul, his father-in-law, was trying to kill him, his wife let him down out of a window by a rope, down the wall, the escape from Saul, trying to kill him. Why the similarities between these spies, and then a bit later King David, and then a bit later Paul? Escaping by a rope down a wall, out of a window. 
Why the similarities? I think I could say only this, that the same God works in the lives of each of us according to a kind of template. So that what goes on in your life actually happened in your life. What went on in my life went on in her life. What went on in your life actually went on in principle in the life of someone else in the Bible. And so this is how you come to understand that man is not alone. That actually things are going according to a kind of template. And if you just come to church and talk about the weather and talk about the state of the nation and all the other stuff in the chit chat, you won't get that. But the closer you engage with each other, tell me about your life. Wow, I thought that there was stuff that I went through that nobody else could relate to. And strangely enough, you find, no, I am not so alive. And that's why Paul says to Corinthians 1 that if you suffer anything, it is to help someone else who suffered the same. When you work that out, it means that what I suffered is not actually unique. Someone else out there has been through this. And you can find that in all sorts of strange things. Didn't think anybody else would have experienced this or that. Wow. Someone else has. Wow. And then straight away you get a bond of fellowship. It, it is experience that unites. It really does. Well. Back to this thing in uh, the genealogies of Matthew, of Jesus in Matthew, where we're told that Rahab was an ancestor of Jesus. It means that, uh, and this is through the line of Judah, it means that a prince of the tribe of Judah married Rahab and had a kid by her, who was Boaz, who then... Uh, became the father of Obed through Ruth and then uh, Jesse and then David and then the line down to Jesus. So Jesus had a prostitute who was a Gentile, she wasn't a Jewish woman, wasn't a Hebrew woman, in his genealogy. When you look at those genealogies of Jesus, they're full of very questionable people. As I say, there's three prostitutes, this is just one of them, and what does that mean? Well, I think that one of the big excuses we often make for our sins and our weaknesses is, well, poor me. I had this, that, and the other in my background. I was abused when I was a kid, somebody might say. Or, well, I grew up with such and such situation. I grew up like this, and so therefore I, I have to be like that. And it's the victim mentality. The victim mentality. For me. The die was cast, I have no choice, I have to be how I am because of what happened in the past. So many times I would speak, in all the years we ran our soup kitchen in, uh, in Riga, people would say, I mean in Russian, not English, uh, I'm an alcoholic, people would say, because you see my father was an alcoholic, my grandmother was an alcoholic, my grandfather was an alcoholic, my great grandfather was an alcoholic. So for me, I am an alcoholic. I have to be. The way is set, the path is set, I, I have no choice. That exactly, Carol. It doesn't have to be. So, when you look at Jesus, and you look at what he had in his gene pool, 
prostitutes, all sorts of funny people. And he overcame them. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we are no longer, <coughs> we are no longer victims of our genes or our past or whatever it might be. You're no longer a victim. And it's no longer just that, well, I had no choice. People say, oh, I was shown no love when I was a kid, so I'm not going to show any love now. No. Okay, you weren't shown any love when you were a kid. But there is this transformation, this new creation, that you are no longer a victim. Then we look at Hebrews and James, where Paul says, by faith Rahab didn't die because she received the spies with peace. She heard their simple message of the kingdom of God with peace. Wow, it's going to be okay for me. I, who am a whore, a Gentile woman, living here in this walled city that's set for destruction by God, somehow God has found me. And she had peace. James looks at another angle of it, where he says, um, you need to have both faith and works, that faith without works is dead. And he says, no, she believed. She believed a very simple message of the kingdom of God. Very simple. And we, you and me, know far more than she did. And straight away she did something. Actually, what she did was to lie. But she did something. She saved these guys. She hit them. And when the soldiers come knocking on the door saying, who are those two guys you had in your house? She just looks the guys in the eye and says, I don't know. How would I know? I'm a whore. Why don't you, as you're such strapping young fellas, uh, outrun them? Just just them that way and you'll catch them. Um, and God counted that as her works. Clearly God had a special interest in this later. Because she becomes one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus. So what are the takeaways? The takeaways are that you can never be in a position that is too far from God. God will work with you. And God likes working with complicated situations. People say, oh, uh, your Facebook profile, what's your relationship status? And people say, it's complicated. Like, I'm sure it is complicated. You don't have to tell me all about it. But God can, God can work through complicated stuff. Look at Rahab. Right? So you're never too far. God will always find you. And believe the simple message that you know, the simple message that you have. Believe it. Believe it and do at least something. At least something. Do not be passive. Do something concrete and actual in response to that faith. And of course, we've uh, we've seen likewise that um, it is grace that is the unique characteristic of true Christianity and of the true, the one true God of Israel. Grace. Would you show grace not only to me but to my family? Sure. But they had to humble themselves. So who wants to be humble? No one likes being humble. 
they are to humble themselves to reconcile with the black sheep of the family. That's me. No, you're not the prostitute of the family. Oh, could be. You don't know. But you're not. (laughs) They are to reconcile with the black sheep of the family and come into the whorehouse to be saved. So basically, God wants humility and he will structure things in such a way that you've got to be humble. And who wants to be humble? We all up ourselves. But God loves humility and without that, you can be saved. And the way he did it here was just very beautiful. That they had to humble themselves and those who did humble themselves they were saved. They were saved. Absolutely. Right, so let's think about the death of the Lord Jesus, remembering that Rahab was one of his ancestors, and no matter what your bad background is and how it was when you were a kid or when you were growing up, he overcame all that. We are a new creation. We likewise, all things have passed away, and all things have become new. 